from the corner of the Selby is Godcast studios, which is just my basement. Welcome to the show. I'm TJ. That's Zach. And today, Z, we are joined by, would you say, the most special of guests? Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, I, you got to be careful here because it's very easy to say something that'll go to Hammy's head. <laughs> You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. Thanks for having me, guys. No, there's <laughs> nothing special about having me. I know that other people said no. I was happy to be fourth on your list, so thank you. No, in fairness, Hammy, I, I've never shared this with you. Uh, growing up like many people in the, the Cleveland area and, and even beyond, uh, listening to you on the radio, I, I do this and I got into radio largely because of you, because I, I looked up to you oh, and, wow. Thank and, you. and it, was, it was such a pleasure listening to you. And I had dreams someday of becoming the Cleveland play-by-play announcer, just like you were. So I invited you on the show because I needed to ask you, isn't it time you hung it up and, and made my dreams come true, stepped out of the yeah. way for me to finally live my dream? <laughs> well, Pace, and I'm sorry uh, I can't do that, TJ, because uh, we had two weddings this fall and winter with children getting married, so I'm going to be working maybe longer than what I thought. You, you guys will be there someday, and uh, I appreciate the kind words. I mean, that you know, you're flattered when you hear something like that. I mean, one. Um, you know, there's no denying I'm old and that's part of it. I mean, my gosh, I could be you, uh, your father for you two guys, because we have children your age. And, uh, so it kind of, I know it kind of makes you think when somebody says something like that, that, you know, um, I have been fortunate enough and, uh, and really blessed to do this, what now 35 years in Cleveland. And I know how hard these jobs are to get. I know how hard they are to keep. And I also know how fortunate my wife and I have been that it was Cleveland that took a chance on us because, you know, we raised four kids in uh, the Cleveland area. We had Nicholas, who was a couple of months old when we got the job, and then had three more children and could not have raised them in a better, better community as far as we're concerned. And as you guys know, in this industry, and it's changing every day, Boy, not often are we allowed to do what we want to do for any length of time. And you know how fortunate you are when it does happen. And uh, so I appreciate the kind words, but, you know, we feel like we've been the lucky ones, too. It's The other thing is it's fun to work in a city like Cleveland where fans are passionate. I mean, we're, when I talk about my wife and I, we're the transients. You know, she's from Pittsburgh. I'm from outside Madison, Wisconsin. There aren't a lot of people that move to Cleveland necessarily like, say, they would Atlanta or Dallas or, you know, some of the the Nashville, whatnot, where nobody's from there. And I think because we're here in Cleveland, it's made the fans, they grew up, as you guys just said, you grew up Cleveland sports fans. So there's a lot more enthusiasm, 
And I think the feelings run deeper for fans than they do in cities where nobody's from that city. So that's also been very fortunate for us that people are passionate. They care. Um, You know, there's no apathy when it comes to a Cleveland sports fan. Can we go back to 1990 for a minute? And I know you've shared before kind of the, you're the plucky kid who's showing up to spring training thinking the, the Indians were going to win the pennant (laughs) and Herb score kind of slapped you with a dose of reality, but you said that that helped you. And just what, what do you remember about those early days um, on the job? I, I, one, you couldn't believe you had the job, you know? And, uh, secondly, you're working with Herb. So I was scared to death and yeah, I'm, you know, basically telling Herb, you know, man, this is really a good team. And he was like, eh, you are not correct. And uh, <laughs> we are not going to be very good. And that's not going to have any impact on how we do our jobs. And it was the best lesson you could have gotten from a guy that would always share anything if you asked, but he wasn't going to take you by the hand. You know, he wasn't going to be one of these guys that was just going to dole out advice and whatnot. You needed to ask him for that. And then he was more than willing to share it. And and he gave me as good of advice as anybody. I've said it many times outside of my dad, no one gave me more better advice in the eight years we worked together than Herb. And, you know, you, I appreciated it then. I, I appreciate it even more now when you're older and, you know, those early years, you're just hoping not to get fired. And um, I don't think I realized how lucky I was um, at that time to be working with somebody like her. Hammett, I had read a story that I didn't know that you didn't apply originally for the, mm, the no. job. Why, why didn't you apply when they had the opening? Well, you know, we, um, my wife, my, my then or now current wife, I should say, but I mean, we met in Columbus and, uh, she was in radio and television. And then we got married in 1988. And then we had Nicholas, our first child, um, like 14 months later in the fall, uh, November of 1989. Well, the job came open shortly after the season. And this is, this is again, guys, man, you feel like a dinosaur when you start telling these stories and how our media changed. We got the Cleveland Plain Dealers, one of the newspapers at WBNS, the radio station. So we were owned by the Wolf family who owned the Columbus Dispatch at that time, Channel 10 and WBNS Radio. And every day we would get the Cleveland newspaper and, you know, it was obviously something you were reading and whatnot. And I noticed that, you know, uh, Paul Olden had left and they were looking and we were expecting Nicholas in November. I was part of the Ohio State football Saturday. Um, And so that really constituted getting ready for pregame, halftime, postgame. I was putting in 60, 70 hour weeks. I didn't have time to go through um, audition tapes or not put together an audition tape from game tapes. And I was the number, I volunteered uh, to do whatever they wanted for, you know, Terry Smith, who's now the voice of the uh, Los Angeles Angels. He had been the longtime voice of the Clippers. I think Terry... Terry was in Columbus probably 12, 13 years. He also was doing Ohio State play-by-play football and basketball. And um, I just had said to Terry, hey, if you want on a home game, 
I'm happy to come in and, and give you a break if you ever want. He was great with that. And uh, it allowed me, he gave me two innings of play-by-play every night for a home game. Obviously, I didn't get paid. Radio station wasn't going to pay two people. So I'm like, how could I apply for the Indians job? I, I'm not even the number one guy here. And then, you know, you always find reasons not to go for something. And then it's the week of Christmas, see a story in the Plain Dealer. They're, they haven't hired anybody yet. They're down to their final four. And they speculated who they were. And you were kind of like, ah, oh, dang it. You know, why didn't I? And my wife then said, look, we can't go anywhere for Christmas. Nick's a month old. We're not going to Pittsburgh. We're not going to Wisconsin. You know, after mass on, you know, Christmas morning, go to the radio station and put this tape together. No one's going to be there. It's Christmas Day. And so did that and uh, took about eight hours to put a tape together. Fortunately, again, this is how you have to be lucky. We were the flagship of Ohio State. So in those days, it was 3WE, now WTAM. They carried the Buckeye games in Cleveland. They were the flagship for the Cleveland Browns. We carried the Cleveland Browns games as the affiliate in Columbus. So the two front offices, the two program directors, had a working relationship. And after the holiday, after you know Christmas Day, whatever, the next day when people were back to work, our program director basically said to the Cleveland people, would you, you know, no, we've listened to 250 tapes. We're down to our final four. We have no interest in opening this up any further. And because of their relationship, he convinced them as a favor. Just listen to his tape. See what you think. Do what you want. And, you know, the rest is history. But again, you were that close from not even getting them to listen to your tape. and. um Again, I, I probably, and I, I not probably, I wasn't ready, prob- probably the way I should have been, had I been doing more play-by-play of, of AAA baseball. But, you know, Michael Brantley used to say it best, you know, got to fake it until you make it. And so that's why we bought a home in Bay Village going, okay, where can we sell a home quickest when we get <laughs> fired after one year? <laughs> when was the last time you milked a cow? You know what? In all transparency, I never milked any cows because I was too young. Oh. So, you know, I was born and raised on a dairy farm. Um, <laughs> and when my dad saw kind of the future that, you know, most farms in Wisconsin, you know, it's always been called America's Dairyland. You know, most most people were milking 50 cows, 50 head. And most farms were 150 acres. But my dad could see that the industry was changing. You know, now there was hydraulic systems coming into play. You weren't just carrying, you know, cans of milk from the cows. You were, you know, going to have to redo your barn uh, to get it all set up for really a new age of milking. And so um, he then got a job at Perry Printing in Waterloo, a town of 1300, which was the closest town to us. And, uh, he worked at Perry Printing then. We still lived on the farm, and but they then quit farming. And then a few years later, we moved into town. So, but we did all kinds of chores and whatnot, but I was too young to milk. And um, I also thought my dad was like, you know what? Um, I'm not having this idiot touch our cows because, <laughs> you know, this truly 
uh, this is how we make our money and he'll, he'll mess it up. But yeah, I did all the things like baling hay and like I say, all kinds of farm chores, but uh, never milk because I just wasn't old enough by the time they sold off the cattle. Did you ever I, think that was going to be your life? No. Okay. No, I, I knew I was getting off that farm. I think that's why dad also was like, none of these kids are going to follow in my footsteps. And, um, you know, they wanted a better life for us. Not That's a great life. Don't get me wrong. Um, I really feel like it taught you a work ethic. You know, it taught you to be creative because you didn't, you didn't have any friends that were close by. You know, if you were going to get together with friends, your mom and dad had to put you in a car and take you somewhere. You know, there wasn't anybody right next door that you could play with. So you obviously played with your siblings, but I think it also forced you to kind of make up games and whatnot. You know, and again, at the time, you probably don't appreciate it and look at it the way you do now. But it also is what, for me, started the dream. I knew I was never going to be good enough to be a pro athlete. And to listen, literally sitting on a porch on a summer night um, to Earl Gillespie doing the Milwaukee Braves, because they were still in Milwaukee. Their last year there was 65. That just kind of transported me into almost like a magical kingdom. Like, can you imagine doing this for a living and going to these parks and these cities? And um, so for me, the dream started pretty early. And part of that was being on a farm. So from there to, to all the games that you've called, all the great games, the big moments. And I, I think as a young kid, you, you often grab a bat and you think bottom of the ninth inning, game seven of the World Series. Well, here you are calling game sevens yeah. of the World Series. Zach and I have, have told the story about in 2016, Zach, you feel anxiety before game five, realizing I, I could be writing the story of yeah. here's this Indians team that finally snaps this this mm-hmm. drought. And for you, I'm wondering before game seven, I, I imagine it's probably even ramped up more in 97, but even in 2016, are you feeling those butterflies? Do you feel anxiety knowing there's a chance I could be calling this Cleveland championship that so many people have been waiting for? Yeah, it's a great question that I've never been asked before. Um, and I'm almost glad I hadn't been because it, it's it's funny, and I'm not name dropping here when I talk about Joe Buck. So Joe was doing the games for Fox. Well, Joe and I met each other in the minor leagues. I was in Columbus, as I mentioned, as the number two guy. And I believe the year was 1989. Joe completed his freshman year at Indiana. And the AAA team for the Cardinals then was Louisville. And his dad, Jack Buck, obviously, was able to get Joe to join the AAA announcer for that summer and do AAA baseball. Now, I'm trying to think back. At at that point, you know, Joe's 19, you know, and I'm in my early 30s going, oh, boy, this world just got even tougher if he's already doing this one year into college. And so I've known Joe for a long time. And we'd be talking throughout the World Series because, um, you know, we're not close friends by any means because I've just not been around Joe. But we've known each other when we were both in the minor leagues, which is kind of a a neat thing. And and he's always been very good to me. And I really like Joe. But I'd be more 
pumping him for information on the Green Bay Packers because they were going through a rough stretch. And of course, he's doing the games with Troy Aikman and um, all of that. And he said to me, he goes, you know, I know what's going on. You know, this it started the anxiety you talk about, TJ, literally started after game four because now you're up three games to one. So you had three straight games there where you could be calling the final out of what would be a World Series championship. And I don't script things out. I just I just feel it has to be spontaneous. But Joe and I talked about this because I asked him, what do you do? Nobody's called more bigger moments than when, you know, Super Bowls, World Series than Joe. And, you know, we both had the same kind of approach in that you want to think of things throughout the day. You want to just kind of run some things by yourself. You know, what sounds good, what may not sound good. Uh, but you never script it up because, one, you don't know how the game's going to end. You could have this unbelievably scripted call, and the game ends on a triple play. And you go into your call, and people are like, oh, that suck. So I just didn't want to screw it up, you know, because it's like if you do get lucky enough to make that call, that call is either going to live in eternity or in infamy. And you don't want to be on that side where people go, all those years and that was the best that he could do so yeah there were there were sleepless nights there really were and then again to my point uh you couldn't have scripted out game seven for much of that game it was a dud you know cleveland was down what three four runs much of that game until the three-run rally in the eighth inning when it didn't look like they were going to do anything you know, I think the, the greatest thing that happened for Cleveland in that game was when they took Kyle Hendrick out because, you know, we weren't touching him. And Joe Madden may have gotten a little quick with the hook. And the next thing you know, we, we know how the eighth inning plays out and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, you hope, like heck, you're in that position again. And, uh, you know, and Joe was kidding, both Pat Hughes and I, because, you know, he's known Pat forever as well. He goes, you know, one of you, has got to make a call for your club that's going to end years of misery. And I was like, yeah, thanks, Joe. You know, <laughs> we know that. <laughs> but that, like I say, um, I, I think Joe Buck's as good as we've ever had. And he's always risen to the moment. You just hope you come up with something as, as good as Joe has done time and time again. I miss him on baseball. Because now yeah, he, only works, he only works 17 weeks a year. It must be nice. You know, I, uh, I, my son, um, both my sons, Nick and Brad, you know, remember there was a stretch where it seemed like everybody was always piling on Joe Buck. And it was like, really? People know how good he is? And they both uh, commented, they felt the opinions of Joe changed when he got very active in podcasts like your own and, and being out there with, the social media so that people got to see a side of Joe maybe they didn't realize. And I, I, I'm grateful that people now look at him, just what you said, Zach. Um, you know, he's, you know, as great as his dad was, Joe surpassed his dad. And that, that's incredible. He's got like that dry sense of humor, right? Yes, Self-deprecating. And, yeah. Yes, he does. Yeah. Hammy, do you, do you like hearing 
your own calls? Like if you're walking no. down the street and a mm -hmm. bar is playing on the, mm -hmm. the radio and it's... No. Because every time you hear them, you're like, oh, I could have done that better. I think you always look at what you didn't do instead of what you did do. And I mean, that was one of the hardest parts, especially early in my career. You needed to listen to yourself every day because you wanted to make sure you weren't falling into bad habits. And I probably should do it now, truthfully, because you do fall into habits that, and now I'm just old and lazy. So um, if they fire us, we know we can sell the house. So we're good there. But uh, no, I, I just, I don't know, you know, and I'm not trying to sound, uh, oh my gosh, she's so modest. I don't mean it that way, but I know I, I just, you know, maybe if I, uh, had a voice like some of these guys, you know, there are some of these guys with the voice of God where you're like, oh yeah, if I could sound like that, maybe I'd like listening to myself. But, um, again, it's flattering, but boy, if you start getting caught up in that, you'll find out how quickly, you know, you're five steps away from somebody going, oh my God, I hate that guy. And he doesn't realize you're that guy, you know, so... <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You've always been like that. And I, I, I remember last summer when the Jose Ramirez, Tim Anderson thing happened. And it happened in, in the middle of a, a kind of a miserable year and, and a, a miserable stretch, too. And I remember thinking, like, this is what the Herb score advice you gave earlier was all about, about how, um, you know, it could be anything can happen, whether it's it's the best season of your life or it's it's a terrible season um, and you just yeah. have to be at the ready. And the thing I <laughs> the thing I was grappling with was. It's a very obvious angle for an article. And I know in talking to Hammy, he is not going to want to embellish his great call. So I was well. like, the way to do it is let's frame it around Herb Scores advice because it fits perfectly with that. Thank you. Um, but I knew, you know, you've you've never wanted to indulge in that. Like we could have introduced you as, you know, a Ford Frick finalist the last three years and you probably would have hung up. Well, you can also introduce me as Susan Lucci, you know, um, keep losing, you know. So, uh, but, you know, again, I, I just, I know how fortunate we've been to have this job. And, and Sandy Alomar said it early in his time with us about, you know, and I've never forgotten, baseball is a game for those that have been humbled and are about to be humbled. And that goes for a broadcaster because um, I had no idea, and I appreciated the, the kind words that you had said and, and wrote and others. But, um, like, I'm driving home that night. I don't remember what I said. You know, it was so bang, bang. You don't go to a game expecting that. We've called many bench clearing brawls and it looks like a bunch of old people dancing. You know, nobody wants to throw a punch or anything else. That that thing escalated. You know, and Bradley is like, you know, of course, when you're in your 20s, they're much more socially active. And he's like, oh, my God, he calls me. You're blowing up. 
and I'm like, well, that can't be good, you know? And so I hadn't realized even what I said, but again, um, you just hope truly the good Lord gives you the right words to say at the right time. Because again, you're that close. And I've said plenty of things that I've wished I hadn't said, or you leave the booth and go, oh my gosh, why, why did I go there? I went too far, you know, and um, you're that, and, and you could have said the wrong thing there. And you, I was fortunate enough that I didn't. Um, how great a call it was, I don't, I don't look at it that way. I know, though, again, how lucky I was that it was a bang-bang play. And normally in a play like that, you look down to write it into your score sheet, you know, but it was such a bang-bang play, you couldn't afford to look down because you didn't know what the call was, whether he was safe or out. And if it's a stand-up double, I'm looking down, I may not even see what had happened because the punch happened so quickly, and I fortunately had a good view of it. And um, I, I just, some of the still pictures you've seen, I'm sure, the photos, where you see him squaring off and the hat is cockeyed, and you're like, well, you're just asking to get beat, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, and I, I just think it spoke volumes, as we've all seen, about what a teammate Jose Ramirez is. That was all about him protecting the young players from Tim Anderson bullying them for whatever reason. Well, something like that, or I'm thinking of the Naquin walk-off inside the park. You're you're right. You could never be ready for a moment like that. And, no. And I'm, I'm always marveling how, because a play like that is unfolding, and you see it, you're talking about someone blowing up. You will see somebody blow up because their voice starts reaching an octave they they can't hit because they weren't anticipating that yeah. it was going to go this wild. And so I always marvel at when you can keep it together, when something unforeseen is happening like that, and and still maintain some sense of being able to understand what you're saying, even though you're watching it just like us. You you don't know yeah. exactly what's happening, but we're relying on you to be our 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 eyes and ears in this moment. And so it it's truly spectacular. And so Thank you. Props to you for being able to handle a moment well, like that because I'm not sure I definitely couldn't. So again, that's proof that why I shouldn't well, go live and my again, dream. There have been times, and and I think back, <laughs> uh, thanks TJ, that you know, you did get out of control. You were too excited, and you hopefully as you get older, maybe that's something you get better at. But then again, it's kind of like I think you have to be who you are, and if your personality is that. You know, some guy's personality is much more laid back, and that works too. You know, how it works or doesn't work in Cleveland may not work in another city. And same thing with, you know, I look at somebody like John Sterling and Susan Waldman, and I love those two. Could that work in another city? They are personified Broadway broadcasters, aren't they? I mean, and you know, Susan was a Broadway actress. And, you know, and John's just so creative. So, again, you, you, you've got to make sure you find, if you're lucky enough, a major league job, but you're in a market that works for you and your personality because that's not always the case. You did make a mistake once. Oh, I've made them nightly. Maybe not so much a mistake, but I'm only bringing this up because you once – brought it to my attention but this podcast is named after one moment in time that 
Ugh. we kind of we kind of cherish because it was yeah it's David versus Goliath it's it's a we love random players from the past um and also it you know it it fits with the pun I guess Godcast podcast um but I'll never forget listening in my driveway getting home and Cleveland had come back they'd cut a seven nothing deficit to seven six Bill Selby's at the plate mm-hmm. and he rips one down the line foul and I think at first you thought it was a, a oh, walk-off double was, right yeah thought it was a fair ball and the and, thing that, um well the thing that I remember you saying is that someone in that situation when they come so close to the heroic hit they strike out you say oh well well that was fun for a split second yeah and so for you to to harness that energy and then come back a second later with another great call on a, on a grand slam was just, that's a fun memory. Thank you. Thank you. And, and again, it was an example where I got ahead of myself and I assumed that ball was fair. Didn't wait for the umpire to make the call. So, you know, um, actually Bill Selby saved me. <laughs> it's not the call they're playing about, Hey, listen to the idiot that said Selby just walked it off on a foul ball, you know? It was just a prediction of what was about to come, just making yeah. sure everyone everyone was ready for it. But it's well, against Mariano Rivera. I know, I know. And it's part of what makes it such a, an iconic moment, even though it's yeah. in the grand scheme of things, it's a nothing. But to get someone like that, it, it's incredible. Now, of course, we're dealing with Wi-Fi issues here. You're no stranger. You've been on live radio for years and years and years. But what... What I always find hilarious, having worked in radio a little bit, is the the truly great ones know how to make it so the the listener at home doesn't know that their hair is on fire. You, your things are going wrong. The broad, like just whether it's equipment not working. And I'm wondering, can you recall a time where the broadcast was just everything was going wrong, but the listener at home would not would not recognize that things are just going drastically wrong in this situation. Well, that's a great question. I mean, I remember Herbie and I one time showed up, I think it was an exhibition game, if my memory's correct, in Oklahoma City. We, we, we didn't have any broadcast line. Well, we're doing the phone there for, or doing the game on a phone, you know? And um, you're like, man, I thought I left these days behind. And, uh, more of those things happen, TJ, when I was working my way up the ladder and, you know, I'm doing all these high school football and basketball games and you got to order the line. The telephone company back then will put in a, a line for you to, you know, broadcast. And, you know, so many times you get there and it wasn't there and and stuff like that would happen. And you'd be um, running, you know, to a payphone, which kids wouldn't even know what a payphone is right now you know, to try to, so I'm trying to think for the most part, we're very fortunate. Now, when you get to this level, as far as, you know, what's at stake with the broadcast and all of that, um, I, maybe the biggest mess for me, you know, I did, um, television for the big 10 basketball for 25 years and I was supposed to do a game at Penn state and I'm not sure why I wasn't driving but I was flying and couldn't get there. I got to Pittsburgh, ice storm hit, game got played that night in Penn State, and they found somebody in the school that did it on TV 
for, I think in those days it was ESPN Regional. Um, one time I was supposed to do a college basketball game. I was doing University of Colorado basketball, and we were playing a game at Kansas State, which is in Manhattan. And I had, you know, tried to tell the company, you need to get me there the night before. No, 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 we'll be fine. We'll fly you in the day of the game. So I'm living in Milwaukee at this time, and they're, so they fly me. I'm supposed to go from Milwaukee to Kansas City, get a rental car, drive to Manhattan, Kansas, which was two, two and a half hours. Blizzard hits. I go Milwaukee to Denver. Now you got to get in line to try to find a flight. Now they find me a flight back to Kansas City. By the time I got the rental car, I got to the arena and the game was over. People are coming out and I hadn't shaved or anything because I was going to have plenty of time at the hotel. The engineer did the game, but he didn't know anybody's name. He didn't have a roster. So (laughs) whoever listened to Colorado basketball that night for two hours just heard numbers for both teams. Number 12 has it, shoots and scores. (laughs) Okay. So those happened more as you were kind of working your way up the ladder. And uh, they did fly me before the games from that point forward a day early. So it's like the the Harry Doyle situation in Major League Two where he's passed out and you just yeah. get the fly ball <laughs> caught. <laughs> I was I was sitting in the stands this week, and um, a couple fans were actually reminiscing about you calling basketball games. I think they were. Yeah, I really, I, I, again, growing up, I mean, I, um, you know, you, you, you won, you, you can't believe you're ever going to get a major league job anyway. The odds are astronomical. I always thought it'd be easier to do college. You know, there are more jobs because there are more colleges. And for a long time, that's what I did do. And But um, I can remember growing up, you know, Merle Harmon and the old Ohio State coach, Fred Taylor, would do the Big Ten game of the week. And it'd be like, oh, my Lord, would that be, you know, that, that'd be like winning the lottery. And I got to do that. So, um, and I missed it. And I still miss doing the games. But 25 years was enough. And. You know, at some point, your wife deserves some of your attention. Whether she wants it or not, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm trying to be the good husband, and she's kind of like, you know what, things work just fine when you're gone. So, I'm glad to hear the things are the same everywhere. We hear we all have the same conversations. Now, you've been blessed to be and, and cover and, and broadcast some truly great players, some great managers, of course. Mm-hmm. One of the things that always impressed me about Terry Francona here over the years was the the Indians or, or the Guardians could just have the worst loss. And it was just demoralizing the night before. And then you'd come back in the next day and Tito just had this uncanny ability to flush it. And yeah. you you would go into those settings. And, and of course, you did this every day with him. You would go into these settings and you'd think, how how could he have his players ready after a loss like that? And then you'd come out of it and you'd feel so much better somehow. Right. So from your perspective, what made Terry Francona so good at being able to do that on a daily basis? I just think there are certain people in this world that have the ability to connect with every be every walk of life. You know, you could have Tito at the White House having dinner with the president and he wouldn't be awed, you know, or, you know, 
Um, you bring in Tom Hanks like we did, you know, and Tom Hanks is in Tito's, you know, Tito was never, I mean, the great story about Tito and Michael Jordan, you know, the basketball story when, you know, Tito managed him in Birmingham and then Michael Jordan got brought out to the Arizona Fall League and Tito was one of the managers and they started to play pickup basketball. And um, then word started to get around the valley um, that Michael Jordan's playing pickup games and, you know, they, it was kind of like the old days, winners stayed on the court. And Tito said, you know, we've played like five games in a row. He goes, I can hardly move anymore. And Tito was a really good basketball player. And they're down one or two, doesn't matter. And um, Tito takes the shot, misses. The other guy goes to the court, dunks, game's over. And Tito's like, oh, my, thank God. And he goes, I'm just dragging myself off the floor. And Michael Jordan goes, hey, I always take the last shot. This is a pickup game. And he's dead serious. And Tito's like, yeah, whatever, and just keeps walking. And Jordan comes around in front of him and stops him. He goes, I always take the last shot. And Tito's like, I don't really give a damn. And Jordan spins and he's angry and he walks off and Tito hollers at him, hey, Michael, now you know how I feel watching you swing at a curveball. And it's like, only Tito could. He said Michael Jordan fell to his knees laughing. But Tito was like, I'm not going to take this from him. And that's also why Michael Jordan loved Tito. And it's like, so he's never awed by anybody or anything. And yet, like when we did win the pennant in 16, that next year, you know, they were asking all of us, do you want a picture with Tito in the World Series trophy? And Tito said, I will do this for three days and for however many hours each day, but everybody in the organization must get the same opportunity, whether they're the maintenance department, whether they're cleanup crews. So he never puts himself above anybody either, no matter what their walk of life is. And so TJ, to your point, I just think he's just got a unique, you know, there how you you guys probably have friends. Certain people can walk into a room and they're like everybody's best friend in half an hour. And the rest of us are like, God, I wish I was that comfortable with other people. And um I think again, and I think Stephen Vogt's got a chance to be tremendous, but you know, he's he's going to have some growing pains too. Tito was at his best when times were at their worst. There was never any panic. No matter what happened, he never panicked. And everyone talks about how they're going to handle bad times. He proved that, you know, there was nobody better. Yeah, I'm not just saying this because Stephen Vogt brought the media donuts the other morning. (laughs) Um, But... Little Tito in him, isn't there? Yeah, I wanted to get at that a little bit. I, I, I... he has a, I think the connection part that you mentioned. Yeah. I think he has mm-hmm. that, and there are there are different personalities. Um, you see little hints of like the self-deprecation with vote yep. that Tito had, and but you, he's someone who's gonna build relationships. I, I I can see how he impressed Cleveland's brass throughout that interview process. Have you sort I of gotten, gotten that too? Yeah, I um, you know. 
haven't had a lot of one-on-one time with him. I'll luckily be able to do that with the manager show every day. But yeah, the little bit you're around him, I agree, Zach. That um, and you know he and Tito connected, and Tito and I were texting back and forth recently, and Tito just said, "I love the guy." I you know, so it didn't take long for Stephen Vogt to make an impression on Tito either. And um, I, I'm with you. I think you know. Both those guys overcame a lot, you know. Uh, Tito was a superstar coming out of college, blew out his knee, and then had a career where he played a long time in the majors but was never the player everybody thought he would be and would have been had he stayed healthy. And Stephen Vogt shouldn't have, according to people, even made it to the major league. So I think there's a, a commonality there where they've overcome a lot of obstacles and maybe have done more than people ever envisioned. And so because of that, um, they don't get too full of themselves. And they also know how the 26th man on the bench feels, which that sometimes is why it's hard for star players to be good players or good managers or good coaches, I should say, and managers. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Obviously, he's got his work cut out for him with such a, a young team coming up this year. Luckily, he's got a perennial MVP candidate over there at third base to to rely on. You talked about how he was willing, Jose was willing to defend the younger players and has really seemingly grown into that leadership role over the years. You've covered so many and, and broadcasted so many great games with great Cleveland players. Jose, how much of a joy has it been to watch his career progress? Yeah, because I think TJ, when he came up, he was our shortstop there that one year opening day and for, what, two months? And when he went back to the minors, he was way below 200. And you looked and said, I'm, I'm sure we'll see him again, but he'll, he'll be a utility guy, you know? And because he also knew Frankie Lindor was right around the corner. So to see what he's become, and I think the way he plays the game, Man, if you don't love that, he's he's got that little cocky strut. He's a little guy that doesn't think he's a little guy, doesn't play like a little guy. You know, um, he is. I, I just, when your best player plays the game harder than anybody else on your team, you've eliminated a lot of problems that a manager is going to have with other players. And so, yeah, TJ, I, I you're right. I. I, you know, I can't start listing all the great players because you know you'll forget them. And and I'm really partial to a lot of those guys because you were the same age. We kind of came up together in the 90s, the Charlie Nagy's, the Sandy Alomar's, the Bayerga, the Vizquel. You can go on and on, Manny and Jim Tomey and all those guys. But Jose Ramirez, he would have started on any of those great teams because he's as good, I think, of a player as we've had when you think of everything that he brings and the way he plays the game, yeah, you can't get enough of those guys. I wish baseball maybe recognized him more, but that only probably happens if we get back into the World Series, you know, and he has a big October.
Speaking of superstars, your partner on the radio booth. <laughs> I, I don't know that the public has... I, I tried to do this, what, five years ago? I sat in the booth with you guys for a game and just observed. Yeah. And I don't know that I could even relay what it's really like. So I, I don't know. I don't listen to nine innings every game because I'm there. But I, I do you think, how would you describe your relationship with Rosie? Because um, uh, it's crazy how long you guys have been together now. Yeah, I mean, we just spent today golfing. That's why I look like a tomato. And, um, you know, he's... He's as good a person as you're ever going to meet. You guys know that. I mean, talk about humble. You know, he has no ego. Um, he's all about us as a team. You know, um, it's, I mean, it, it's just, you couldn't ask for a better partner. And gosh, I've seen it in this game where guys hated each other, you know, and uh and it usually ended up in a divorce. I mean, you know, didn't happen that long ago. Look at what happened with the Detroit Tigers TV crew. And, you know, if 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 you don't like who you're working with and enjoy, you know, we go out to dinner all the time on on the road, you know. Um we're together with each other more for literally 7 months if you include spring training than you are with your own family because even when you're at home you're not having dinner with your family at home because you're at the ballpark. So to be able to go to work every day and love the guy you work with and know what kind of a person he is, and you're never worried about, oh my gosh, can you trust this guy? Is he going to try to get your job? You know, we've seen that in this business too. Look, all of us want to be the number one guy or the lead announcer or whatnot. I mean, that's just human nature. And I never go into that booth going, huh, wonder if he's going to try to sabotage me or do this or do that. He is, he is a tremendous friend and he's just, he's, he's a great husband. He's a great father and you know, you can't fake that stuff. So, uh, again, I, 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 I have been so lucky when I think of, you know, Herb Score and Mike Hegan and, you know, the, the guys I've worked with and, and now Rosie, I mean, Boy, I, again, I've been very fortunate. Be honest, though. How much fun is it to kind of poke the bear, tweak him a little bit? Oh, my bit? God. Yeah. And, and so the other day, he had a 60th birthday, you know. And um, I couldn't go to the – there was a, a party at, at Bart's place. And I had family coming in, so I couldn't go. We were at the airport getting family and whatnot. But um, wouldn't you know, the next day, Monday, we have a game. Well, he's got laryngitis. So it's perfect. You know, one, you're 60, so obviously you're now falling apart, Rosie. And the laryngitis, in my mind, was because he was pretending to be Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey in Vegas. That's <laughs> why he lost his voice. And so you kid with him on the air, and the great part is he had no answer because he couldn't speak. And now you got people texting him. He's like, Oh my God, I'm getting all these text messages. Well, if you're going to go out at night like that, it's like, oh my gosh, people believe this. Um, and so, yeah, we if, if you can't kid each other, you know, and uh, and we do, if you, you know, if you've got thin skin, boy, that, that that's not going to work. One of the things that you've kind of alluded to, Hammy, is the fact that the listener at home, you never know 
this might be one of the few times they're listening to it. And so you're making yep. every moment count for them because right. regardless of the fact that if it's July, whatever, and they're in fourth place, you still have to make this an entertaining broadcast. But for someone that's been doing it for years and years, how do you still maintain that same level of fire and passion for this job? Cause I know again, TJ, how lucky I am to have it. You know, um, when you get that phone call, Offering you the job, you can't, you know, it's like, it's the impossible dream came true, you know. Um, I, I'll, you know, I never forget that phone call, you know. Um, I take that with me in the booth every night, you know. Yeah, there are times you're tired. So what? You know, my dad was working 12-hour shifts, one-week days, one-week nights when he left the farm and worked at Perry Printing. That's work. Um, I... How many of us can't wait to go to work when we get up in the morning? How many people dread going to work? They're just counting the days until the weekend. And I haven't had to do that for 35 years now. So if you lose that enthusiasm, then I'll know it's time. Uh, because you're cheating people. You're cheating the ball club that pays you. You're cheating the people that listen to you. And you're cheating yourself. So, uh you know, if it's not exciting, you know, then, um, or if I'm not feeling the games are exciting. And guys, look, there are some years that are harder than others. And when you have a good team, the season's simple because the games take care of themselves. The hard seasons are when you're struggling. And to your point, you hope you can make the broadcast entertaining and, and whatnot. But again, I also think back, Zach touched upon it earlier, what Herb said, you know, for some people, the, the game that night is the highlight of their day. It's the only thing they have to look forward to. And I once got a letter. I don't know how I lost it because I carried with it for years. Somebody sent me a letter in Braille. And I had never seen true Braille and um, about what the games meant. And they were like, oh, um, look at that if you think you're having a bad day. Did you, you called basketball. Did you ever mm -hmm. call anything random? Yeah, well, um, I called college football and obviously all kinds of high school. But my first play-by-play -play gig in Watertown, Wisconsin, they sent me to the Jefferson County Fair. Now, again, you guys aren't farm boys. Oh, uh, so <laughs> you'll have no away. appreciation for um, a fair. But... You know, I can remember my mom, she grew up on a farm in Mineral Point, Wisconsin, and she was a blue ribbon winner. And I mean, we saw those pictures all the time to the point you were like, Mom, you're standing next to a steer. You know, I'm glad I won the blue ribbon, but that's a big deal for kids that because they raise the cattle from when they're a baby, whether it's sheep, pigs, steers, whatever. And, um, they sent me to the Jefferson County Fair. We had to do three hours of the live auction. So all these kids from Jefferson County bring in their animals. They are judged. You have blue ribbon winners. And unfortunately for the animal, they're literally next week's special at the local restaurant. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> it's true. And they were like, well, you gotta, you got to just describe it. It was three up. Guys, 
every pig, every sheep, every steer looks pretty much the same. <laughs> and it was like, this is, uh, that's, that was my first gig. And I'm starting to then think, I mean, you know, my mom said I should have tried to be an accountant because those jobs were very reliable. And I was like, gosh, she was right. <laughs> <laughs> from those days and by the way it's not 1990 anymore but i am curious about the outlook for this current team as you're in spring training i don't know hammy what what do you think of this this group i, I know it's a young team so that makes it a little bit yeah. difficult to to fully grasp with to know what they're going to be the one thing i've learned tj if nothing else 35 years of this a lot of times i know nothing based on what i see in spring training where you'll see a club where you think, you know, man, we're, we're really good. And then nothing happens or vice versa. You know, I didn't see what was going to happen in 22, was it? When, yeah, 22, I'm losing the years here. I didn't foresee that happening with that ball club, you know, and they got on such a roll and they were so young and, you know, we know how that went. And then I thought last year, you know, oh, they'll really take another step forward. I thought they had overachieved the year before, thought there might be a little market correction, but not to the point that it was last year. And I think some of that was a byproduct of injuries. As we have seen, guys, we can sit here and predict all we want. But every year that we've had a bad year, it was due to starting pitching being decimated. Last year, it was Bieber and McKenzie. This club can't, most clubs can't afford to lose. And this club's built on that. If, if their starting pitching's not healthy, we're in trouble. We're not going to outslug teams. Um, I think right now there's a big red flag with our bullpen. I mean, Trevor Steffen, I don't see any way he's ready for the opener. Anyway, James Karinczak, we keep being told he's, you know, on the road to recovery, but we'll see. You, you start messing around with shoulders especially this early in camp, which to me is a big red flag. I hope they're right. But you take Stefan and Karinczak, you've taken two of your top power arms out of the bullpen. And um, and you traded away a power arm in De Los Santos. And so, you know, can the Cade Smith, can a Franco Aleman, uh, you know, kids that maybe a lot of Guardians fans haven't heard of, are they going to be ready to step up? Um, will you make a trade? You know, look, everybody is, is looking for pitching this time of the year. So, um, I just, right now it's still too early. I think TJ to draw many conclusions because we haven't played even a week's worth of games and you know how these games are by the fifth inning. You're like, I don't know who any of these people are. And so, um, you can never draw any conclusions from that. I, I just think it is too early. But again, I also think this is a ball club, and I'm not spreading any state secret here. Um, the margin of error is pretty thin, you know, and they can't afford injuries to key guys. That being said, and I know we haven't, you know, seen it for real when the games count, I, I think Shane Bieber looks great, what I have seen. He, he, looks, he looks better than he did a year ago. And Tristan McKenzie says he feels great. You think the other three youngsters are really good. I thought Joey Cantillo the other day was impressive. I think, Zach, you were there for the two innings that he pitched. So, um, you know, they still have some good starting pitching, but, you know, 
where's that power going to come from? Where's going to be the ability to not have to play a white knuckler every night, which really takes a toll, I think, on a bullpen. And on the broadcasters. <laughs> well, hey, and that's really what it's about. <laughs> we appreciate you doing this. I know you felt obligated because you steal my grapes oh my. every morning. You do. We, we've, TJ, we've really bonded, um, I think, more over the red grapes than the green grapes. Um, but, good, you know, good. what's interesting when you, you just said that now, Zach, he, he brings a bag of grapes and very kindly shares them with me. Two years ago with COVID or whatnot, we couldn't have put our hands in the same bag of grapes. See how far we've come. <laughs> yeah, we don't even wash them. I mean, it's... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Everything's fine. We're all good again. No, yeah. you know, we, we we really do appreciate it. It means a, a lot to us that you, you took oh the gosh, time, yes. an, hour, an hour out of your day to do this. It was it was a lot of fun. and uh, I enjoyed it, too. Uh, hopefully you did. And the next time we ask, you know, just, you don't have to steal Zach's grapes to do it. We can just do it. No, I've, I've told great. Zach, you know, I haven't seen enough of you, TJ, you know, obviously, but I listen to your guys' podcasts. I enjoy <laughs> them. And uh, I do. I mean that. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny, again, how our world has changed where you now look for podcasts, whether you're working out or whether you're in your office working and whatnot. So you guys do a great job. And um, I was honored to be with you. Anytime, just give me a holler. We'll take you up on that. Thanks for listening, everybody.